0: Welcome back to Understanding Childhood Cancer with Dr. Jeff, and I think I'm in trouble this time. Some of you will recall that I came back from the American Society of Clinical Oncology meeting, the ASCO meeting, and I said, well, does anyone want to hear any updates of what went on at that meeting? You know, and then at the Facebook page I said, "Uh, if you've got some special requests for episodes on certain subjects, please let me know. Now, i got to say, I was hoping for something easy. Remember, I didn't want to be asked to do something that takes me six months to review the literature and anything. You know, something easy. What are the side effects of cyclophosphamide, you know? How do you spell blood transfusion? You know, something easy. But no, what do I get? Please explain immunotherapy. Wow, immunotherapy. This is big, complicated, uh this is a bit, well, it's a bit like asking Taylor Swift to start her concert with Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Um, it's, it's, it's a big and complicated area, but I think I'll be able to do it. I think I'll be able to make this make sense. Now, I'm not suggesting for one minute that I'm the Taylor Swift of paediatric oncology. Just can we put that on the record? My mother probably thinks I am, but, but no, I make no such claim. Anyway, cancer immunotherapy is a big topic at the moment, and a lot of you will have seen the news on TV surrounding that ASCO meeting, and the big data came out in the treatment of malignant melanoma, particularly some special antibodies to be used to improve the chances of surviving malignant melanoma. Now, that's all in adults, pretty much. We don't know much about those drugs yet in paediatrics, but uh, it's a very exciting time, and immunotherapy is really gone prime time. So I guess I understand the interest. Now to understand immunotherapy you're going to have to know something about the body's immune system and so today I want to start by explaining some basic immunology and you sort of need to know that otherwise you won't understand immunotherapy. And then in the next episode I'm going to talk about antibodies against cancer. Anyway so the immune system its real sort of role in life is to protect us, and mostly to protect us from infections, I think. So to kill viruses and bacteria and stop these germs from damaging us, damaging our bodies, making us sick. That's what the immune system is probably mostly set up to do. Now, it also does a few other things that, you know, it'll protect you against, say, a kidney transplant from another person. So if you take Uh, an organ from another person and just put it into another person, well, it's their immune system that will destroy that organ, unless it's tissue compatible and they're on immune suppression and all that sort of stuff. And we think that the immune system has a role in the background all the time, potentially in eradicating tumours before they really get started. Yeah, so we think that there's this thing called tumour surveillance going on, that the body's immune system is out there and once the cell goes malignant, the immune system kills it. Now, how much evidence for that is debatable and how much it's a reality and how much it's really happening. This is something people talk about and I've lost touch with that literature a little bit. I think we believe it's true, but how much it's true, not quite sure. So the immune system is a very complicated beast. It's got a number of different elements to it. It's got antibodies, antibodies that can stick onto a bacteria or a virus and then bring in a whole lot of other chemicals from the bloodstream to destroy the virus. There's cells called T-cells that do a similar thing. They can identify a cell that's full of virus and kill that cell, uh, T-cells in particular, And then there's other elements of the immune system that are called antigen-presenting cells, antigen-presenting cells. They're the cells, so if you, you know, get a splinter in your leg and there's some bacteria on it, well, some cells around the splinter will grab hold of the germs and hold them up to the immune system in a special way so the immune system can see the bacteria in the right way to respond and then to come and kill the bacteria. And then you have all sorts of other controls to stop your immune system from attacking yourself. There are certain diseases called autoimmune diseases where our immune system is actually attacking ourselves. So rheumatoid arthritis, uh, lupus. Have you ever heard of lupus? That's a condition where people have antibodies against themselves. So that's a failure of the immune system. It's got revved up too much. So it's a very complicated system and immunologists, I got to say, they tend to be very smart people and they understand all of this. Okay, but today first off I want to explain to you about antibodies because uh, antibodies end up being part of cancer immunotherapy. Okay, now suppose you got some blood from yourself, 10 mils of blood and you put it in a tube and you sat it on the windowsill. Now uh, when you come back the next day the red blood cells will have sunk to the bottom of the tube and sitting above the red blood cells will be this yellow liquid and that's called plasma or serum. Okay, now, And that's full of all sorts of goodies. It's got salt in it and potassium and sugar and calcium and magnesium and all sorts of chemicals. But in particular, it's got proteins in it. Okay, Proteins. And proteins are just chemicals. They tend to be very big molecules proteins, and there's different types of proteins in the serum and the plasma. So there's one protein called albumin, that's the main one, don't worry about it today, it's very important, but don't worry about it today. But there's another family of proteins in there that are called immunoglobulins, immunoglobulins, and they're part of the immune system, and it's within that immunoglobulins that we find these things called antibodies antibodies. So antibodies are in our bloodstream. Oh, they're elsewhere in the body too. They're in your intestine They're in your lung. They're probably in your mouth and your nose. But anyway, the main ones to talk about today are the ones that are in the bloodstream and they're proteins and they are an important part of the immune system. And what you have is an antibody against chickenpox and you have an antibody against tetanus, if you've been immunised, and you have an antibody against the cold virus, and you tend to have an antibody against all sorts of different things. Okay. When you're born, you haven't necessarily got all these antibodies of your own. When you're born, you have antibodies that you got from your mother. They came across the placenta before you were born, and so when you're born, you've got about four, five, six months' worth of antibodies that you just got from your mother before you can start making your own antibodies and protect yourself. Let's take an example. This might make it simpler. You know they say that if you've had chicken pox, you can't get it a second time. Yeah, that's what you hear. Most of the time it's true. Most people don't get chicken pox twice, but you technically can. Particularly if you're on chemotherapy, you can. Anyway, now if you... um have never had chickenpox well the first time the chickenpox virus gets into you and you probably inhale it through your lungs and it gets into your system then you have an episode of chickenpox you get fevers you get spots you feel sick all of that happens now in your body you have a bunch of cells called b cells b b for batman b cells b cells are what make the antibody Now, when you're born, you've got a B cell that, if it gets exposed to chickenpox, it will multiply and become more numerous and start making antibodies to chickenpox. So when you have that first episode of chickenpox, the B cells that are in your body for chickenpox, they proliferate and they start making antibodies against chickenpox, and that's how you eventually recover from the chickenpox. You grow this antibody it's called IgM at that, time, at that stage, IgM for mother. And the antibody helps you to get rid of the chicken pox and then you get better and go back to school. Now, the B cells persist though and they continue to make antibodies against chickenpox, And mostly after the acute episode, they make something called IgG, immunoglobulin G. And that's the most common immunoglobulin in our bloodstream. So now we have what we call memory immunity. So we have circulating levels of IgG that are higher than they were before we had chickenpox. Now we've got a high level of IgG. And next time we inhale chickenpox because we sit next to someone on the train with chickenpox, well, our immune system just kills the virus with our IgG against chickenpox. So the next time we inhale it, virus gets into our blood, our immunoglobulin, our antibody against chickenpox, attaches to the virus, and then it draws in all these other chemicals. They're called complement. Don't dwell on that. It's way too complicated. Anyway, all these chemicals get drawn in by the antibody, and those chemicals destroy the virus, and that's the end of the virus. So that's how the immune system works to kill a virus. And that's how immunizations work. Um, Instead of actually having a certain disease and developing an antibody against the disease, they develop a vaccine. And the vaccine looks like the virus you're trying to protect against, but it usually has the bad bits removed. So in tetanus, for instance, we want to have an antibody against the tetanus toxin. Uh, Tetanus toxin causes tetanus and makes us paralysed and cramping and stiff. And, you know, people used to die of tetanus. In fact, they still can. The tetanus germ is still out there. It's in the dirt. And it's not like you can be protected because the rest of the community is protected against tetanus. No, you have to be protected yourself. Anyway, we want to have an antibody against tetanus toxin. So they develop something called tetanus toxoid. And it looks like tetanus toxin to the immune system, but it doesn't cause the cramping and the spasms of tetanus. So we inject tetanus toxoid... The body thinks it's tetanus and makes an antibody against tetanus. Okay, that's good. Now, next time when you step on a rusty nail and tetanus germs get into your body, well, now you've got an antibody against the tetanus toxin and you can neutralise the toxin before it has a chance to make you sick. So that's how immunizations work. They work by uh, fooling the immune system. We give a less toxic version of the infection, the body makes an antibody, And then when we encounter the real version of the infection, the antibodies can kill the infection before it makes us sick. And so again, when we're born, we've got millions and zillions of different families of B cells in our bodies. And some of them are running around in the bloodstream, some are in the bone marrow, some are in the lymph glands, they're in various places. We've got all these different families of B cells. And like I said, we've got one that if stimulated, will respond to chickenpox, and one that will respond to tetanus, and one that will respond to the common cold, and one that will respond to smallpox, and one that will respond to bee stings, and you know, got all these hundreds and thousands and millions of B cells. And once they are exposed to the particular target, then they proliferate, and then they go on making antibodies for years to come. And you know, they make the antibody for years to come, but sometimes they stop producing the antibody at such high levels. And that's why for some immunizations we give a course of immunizations, but then we give a booster dose later on and you know, for tetanus they talk about repeating it, I don't know, 5 years later or something like that because the antibody level gradually drops. So you can see why it's an attractive thing to consider can we get Antibodies that are targeted against cancer. Imagine if we had an anti cancer antibody that could just circulate in our bloodstream and do what antibodies are meant to do bind onto the target and kill it. That'd be good, wouldn't it? And that's what I'll talk about in the next episode. But first, let me talk about the use of antibody therapy that we've been doing for decades in medicine because we've been using it for decades. First thing to mention, by the way, just a bit of terminology. If the antibody is directed against, say, chickenpox, well, then that means it's directed against the antigen chickenpox. So, whatever the antibody is directed against is called the antigen. A N T I G E N. The antigen. So, we have an antibody that binds to the antigen and then helps to get rid of it. And again, antibodies are also called immunoglobulins, and most of the time we talk about immunoglobulin G, so IgG, but there's also an IgM. That's the one you get right at the time of having an infection, and there's one called IgA. That tends to be in body secretions, and then there's IgD, and there's IgE, and IgE is the one that gets caught up in allergy a lot, Anyway, whole families of immunoglobulins. But when we get talking about cancer immunotherapy, most of the time we'll be talking about an immunoglobulin G class of antibody. And then, of course, there's IgG1, IgG2, IgG3, subclasses of IgG. But that's all getting beyond my pay grade. But we've been using antibody therapies for decades. Um, Let me just think of a few I could tell you about. So, Tetanus. Remember I said that the tetanus germ is sitting out there in the dirt, ready to get into us and give us tetanus. Clostridium tetani, it's called. Now, ideally, you have the immunisation against tetanus toxin before you ever get exposed to the germ. Okay. And so then you've got the antibody, it'll kill the germ. Now, if you've never been immunised or if you haven't had a booster immunisation and then you tread on a rusty nail, then Just giving an immunisation at that time might not work. So the immunisation takes a period of time to work and you could get tetanus while you're waiting for it to work. So in those situations, we give patients a shot of tetanus antibodies. So not the vaccine. I mean, we give them the vaccine so that they'll develop their own antibody. But to cover them for that first several days in the acute episode, we give them a shot of tetanus immunoglobulin, TIG, big shot, painful into the muscle, but that's the thing that'll get them out of trouble, protect them from tetanus in that acute period while they wait to develop their own antibody. What's another one? Um, You know, you've heard of uh, women who have a baby and their blood group is Rh negative. So I think it's about 15% of the population are Rh negative. So if a woman is Rh negative, so A negative or B negative or O negative, if they've got that negative, But if their baby is Rh positive, so A positive, B positive, O positive, well, at the time of birth, the mother can get exposed to the positive cells just in the birth process and then develop an antibody against Rh positive cells. Now, that's okay with the first pregnancy, but the next time she has a baby, if that baby's Rh positive, then the mother's antibody will be harmful against the baby. So in these situations, for years, we've been giving the mother a dose of anti-D antibodies at the time of birth. We give her a shot of anti-D, and that, that mops up the, the baby's red cells that have spilt into the mother and stops them from developing an immune response. So we've been giving anti-D for years. There's other ones. When children are exposed to chickenpox and they're on chemotherapy, we can give them a shot of antibodies against chickenpox. That one's called Zoster immune globulin. And that's only really in people who are on chemotherapy or immune suppressed. We don't give it to every child exposed to chickenpox. And a lot of those antibodies are obtained from blood donors. So people donate their blood, and people with high levels of antibodies against, say, chickenpox, they might particularly single them out and take their plasma and concentrate it and purify it and produce this chickenpox antibody shot that we can give. And then you can just get an infusion into a vein of just generalised antibodies, a whole pool of all the different antibodies. There are children that are born without B-cell function. They don't make antibodies. Well, we can give them an infusion of antibodies that just sort of cover everything. And those antibodies still are mostly, I think, uh, purified from blood donors and sterilized and all of that to make them safe. And they tend to be super expensive too. We give them in bone marrow transplant patients and other cancer patients who have Im- impaired uh, antibody production just to sort of provide some protection. So, bottom line is we've been using antibodies in medicine for decades. Now we're getting to the new technology of making custom antibodies against very specific targets and not extracting them from blood donors but making them in the in the drug company factory and um, that's got a lot of advantages. But that's it in a nutshell. That's what antibodies are. They're proteins. They're naturally occurring. We have gazillions of them circulating in our bloodstream and each antibody is very specific for one particular target. So we'll have a you know, billions and billions of copies of the chickenpox antibody running around in our bloodstream, or the tetanus antibody, or the diphtheria antibody, provided we've been immunized against these things. And those antibodies are just sitting there waiting, and the time you get exposed to whatever the the infection is, those antibodies can bind to it and kill it. So they're naturally occurring proteins and a vital part of our immune system. So in the next episode I'm going to talk about, well, what about using these antibodies to target cancer? Can we do that? Will it work? And that's going to be interesting. Now, I'll leave it there. Remember, I've got a Facebook page, Understanding Childhood Cancer with Dr. Jeff. You can leave your comments there. Requests for special episodes, again, nothing about specific patients, but you know, on topics you want to hear about, let me know and I'll see how I go leave other comments, or you can go to the iTunes store, give me some stars. I'll show them to my mother as well. Anyway, thank you for listening to Understanding Childhood Cancer with Dr. Jeff, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye now.